Welcome to Profiles in Eccentricity, a show about weirdos, with your hosts, John Fahey, Aaron Peter, and Matt Brutzone. Hello folks, welcome to Profiles in Eccentricity, it's a show about weirdos, doggone it. My name, as always, is John Fahey. I'm a gorgeous man. That's right, John, you are. Joining me, as ever, perhaps the pinnacle of human existence, the most gorgeous man ever to have walked the face of the earth, the love of my life, Aaron Joseph Pita. Hi, I'm Aaron. (laughs) I mean, you can't really go up from that. Uh, that Take a step sideways. There. Absolutely. <laughs> a not. Lateral move. Lateral yeah, move. yeah. Apex human predator, ooh, ooh. Aaron Peta. Maybe sure. it's just a, yeah, maybe yeah, next yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of apex alpha bull uh <laughs> cucker of men. <laughs> Only one that you I know always, of. You always peter out. Like I, I build you up so hard, and then when it's your turn to do Matt, you're like, uh, uh, uh Well, he's uh, a, it's uh, a, he's a, he's a, he's at a place that's beyond description. It is How because, right. because it's on uh, kind of like uh, like the celestial plane. Yes, an mm-hmm. astral. He's an astral body of a man. Oh, yeah, 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 thank yeah, 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 Astral with two S's. Hey. Yeah, um, he is. Um, See, you can't do it either. No, he's 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 uh, he's uh, petering out. He's leveling up on a spiritual level far beyond what you and I will. Right, ever and reach. he's not even at his final form yet. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah I think yeah. Well, you and I that. will be reincarnated as you know some kind of a beetle, sick gecko, maybe. Oh, perhaps. <laughs> you know, God, I w- God willing, uh, most likely some sort of arthropod. Maybe we'd have to hire a lawyer. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yes, definitely. But Matt, Matt is basically super saiyan at this point. Oh, wow. yeah, 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 probably uh, a dove. You guys are too kind. You're too. Kind. Yeah. Matt Rousseau, hey. Hi. <laughs> this is that's me. That's too much that's too much intro. Thank you. Thank you. It's great being here. I'm so excited for fifty. Episode fifty. It's been a it's been a year. It's been ins- You've come a long way, baby. <laughs> All right, John. You know? Very good. It's a very, very big deal. It's a half a hundred. That's um, a good that's a good point, Aaron. Matt and I were talking about uh the weather. It outside. rained here. Oh, yeah, yeah, God. Yeah. Fucking pandemonium. As soon as we put the fires out, it, you know, um, and it made me think. <laughs> so now all the mud. It's mudslides. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. right. And I thought of, I thought about uh, Pistol Pete's brother bartending there in, in New Orleans. Oh, the hurricane. Hurricanes he's giving We used out. to have to put sandbags up to stop the mudslides <laughs> when we were hiding from Charlie. Mudslides are two for one. <laughs> <laughs> I can fuck with that guy all day yeah, long. Yeah, uh, Vietnam vet bartender uh, in is New Orleans. Of all what? places. Ridiculous. Don't tie those beats too tight. Ridiculous. Um, for the 50th episode, I've uh, I've said uh, long-awaited uh, I wanted to do... It may, it, it may seem a little too mainstream. It may, see, it may seem a little too boring. But, um, oh, hell of an intro, John. <laughs> but I, 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 I think that there is so much um, to still uncover um, beyond the regular headline shit about perhaps the most eccentric and neurotic and paranoid uh, and, and just still kind of a poignant tale of uh, the 37th president of the United States, uh, Richard Milhouse Nixon. Fuck him. I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I got totally engrossed in this guy's story. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I I, th- I feel like everybody thinks they know something about him. Yes. I, I go back to Aaron's great quote. Uh, I don't know shit. 
Yeah. Right, right. It's like I have ideas. I have yeah. third-party ideas. Robin Williams doing an impression. Hunter S. Thompson, uh, desic- <laughs> a great obituary of him. And all. Yeah. But we don't really know shit from Shinola. Well, no. it's really all about you know the, the, the post-Watergate thing and, and the exposures that happened of, of uncovering that whole scandal and then finding out what a neurotic, paranoid scumbag that wanted to destroy his enemies he was, but... Um, this first part, um, we're going to do a two-part, is really about kind of Nixon's rise to power. And, and there's a very there's a very American um, kind of, like, aspiration to, to do well and, and also kind of, you know, do what he perceived to be the right thing that, that drove him. And it also drove him kind of mad and, sure. you know, drove him to do just these horrible things later in life. But there's a lot of, you know, optimism and, and really kind of belief in, in things turning out well and doing things for the right reason at uh, the first part of his life. Um, he uh, – his his house was, was built by his, his father, Frank, and um, his mother, Hannah, was a Quaker, Hannah Millhouse. No shit. Yes. And uh, – his father converted of the oatmeal fame. Yes, yes, and Barbara it, Bush. Yeah, his father converted from Methodist uh, to Quaker. Um, he was uh, descended from Thomas Cornell, uh, ancestor of Ezra Cornell, who was the founder of Cornell University. Um, Jimmy Carter and Bill Gates were also descendants of the same man, huh. believe it or not. And uh, so he was raised Quaker, you know, uh, through his his mother and his convert father and and this thing that that I think people Jesus. don't really pay enough attention to was that when Nixon goes against Kennedy there's all of this shit about Kennedy being a catholic mm-hmm. and having to answer to the pope and the the pope is going to run the show but quakers to this day are still even more obscure than mormons mm-hmm. you yes. know like like it, it's a it's a really different thing and if you ever see like a like um a mormon church service do you know what about what what goes on there like they uh oh, a lot of cloak and dagger shit no it's 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 kind of it's this weird um dressage it, it seems kind of almost like uh like uh like a new agey thing but it's it's very it's very old right it's, you get your own planet when you die no 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 no. that's the mormon shit right yeah but, that's but, what you just asked no you no, said no mormon i'm sorry quaker quaker oh, well they they quake Right, right. So yeah, and, and but, when, sh- fucking but when you go to a service, like there's this like extended period of silence, and then when you feel moved to say something, you just stand up and say it to the congregation, and then hmm. everybody kind of listens, and then you sit down again, and it's very atypical of uh-huh. uh, of a uh, like what Nixon passed himself off as as being kind of like a, buttoned know, up, and your regular everyday right. Protestant. It's it's it is like a, a stranger faith than sure. you know people give it credit for. Maybe a, a type of religion that doesn't drive people to crave power. Well, it still has, um, it, it, yeah, it, it is. Um, it's very humble in its way, but it still has some of those trappings of of uh, you know uh, like uptight Christianity, where it's like no swearing, uh, no drinking, no dancing, even. I take it. Um, he has, uh, four brothers, no sisters, Harold, Donald, Arthur, Edward, uh, four of the five, including Richard, were named for English kings. Uh, he, he was named for Richard the Lionheart. Um, it was a, it was a really, uh, tough upbringing. They, they were dirt poor, you know, and, uh, 
Nixon told Eisenhower, we were poor, but the glory of it was we didn't know it. In 1922, the family uh, ranch failed, and they moved to Whittier. Yeah. Aaron, you're a, a California native. Yes, you're, East you're, L.A., Whittier. You're, you're, uh, you're, you're familiar. And, and uh, I mean, this is one of the most interesting things about Nixon, too, is that he's a, a 100% authentic Westerner, yeah. Californian. Yeah. And uh, as Rad pointed out to me, Radisson Zahari of our friend, um, Reagan is, you know, credited also, as the other Californian, but he's really born in Illinois. Right, right. But Richard Milhouse Nixon is the authentic Californian president, and he's also kind of like the epitome of the conservative yeah. Archie Bunker type, which is so funny. You right, know? And, 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 you know, and Reagan was that too. It, it's so weird yeah. that the, the two, I mean, at least if like the kind of mo- staunchest like, yeah. modern era Republican um, yeah. icons. And also, you know, you know when later on when when uh, when they're running for president and everything, like Reagan is like far to the right of of Nixon. Yeah, and you know he's but he, the two California guys, yeah. like you, you can't even make that shit up. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's totally it's totally insane. Um, so he uh, he had a younger brother Arthur that died at uh, seven years of age. Um, so the family's kind of paranoid about everybody's health now. And at the age of twelve, a spot was found on. Uh, Dick Nixon's lungs, and he was forbidden from sports, oh. um, which I think kind of like made him like kind of a sports fanatic later. Uh, it was found to be a patch of scar tissue from an earlier bout with pneumonia. Oh, um, that dirt. Yeah. Yeah. And the father, so the father, Frank and Whittier, had a gas station and grocery. Uh, Richard went to East Whittier Elementary, and uh, in eighth grade, he, he won his first election as eighth grade president, right? Yeah, he, uh, he sent some kids to run through some lockers, dig, <laughs> yeah, yeah. dig up some <laughs> love letters. He just had dirt on everybody, right? <laughs> um, he had an older brother, Harold, that uh, uh, kind of started leading a dissolute lifestyle, they would say. Probably, a dissolute? Yeah, mm. probably a carouser and a bit of a... a rabble rouse? Yeah. Was he dancing? He, he probably was dancing, oh. maybe even drinking too. Possibly cursing. Who's to say? Oh, my God. Um, so his parents believed that, uh, you know, Harold was, you know, led down this horrible road uh, by the uh, Whittier public school system. <laughs> Your thoughts, Aaron? Uh, Is it LAUSD? <laughs> yeah, they were probably right. So they sent Richard to Fullerton Union High. Um, Holy at- shit. Fullerton is Orange County. Right. So he would ride the bus an hour each way. And uh, now they, they're not worried about the lungs anymore. So he's playing JV football. <laughs> right. He never missed practice, uh, but he was rarely ever used in games. Total, like, Rudy style, yeah. like, you know, just, uh, you know, filling up everybody's water bottle and shit. And um, he had uh, great success in debate. He won plenty of championships. And um, he, uh, he took his only formal tutelage from Fullerton's head of English, um, this guy named uh, Lynn, uh Scheller. And Nixon later remembered Scheller's words, which were, remember, speaking is conversation. Don't shout at people. Talk to them. Converse with them. And Nixon stated that uh, he tried to use that tone as much as possible. So whenever you hear, if you think about Nixon talking, it sounds like he's sitting right next to you and he's just shooting the shit, Mm -hmm. throwing out his ideas. It's just that kind of thing, you know, and it really is. Probably one of his greatest gifts as a politician is to sound like he doesn't know better than you. He's just hypothesizing about the way things might be. Right, which was a staunch contrast to JFK. Sure, who yeah. Who was an, an Obama-like speaker. Yeah. 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 They, he uh-huh. spoke presidential, whether, I mean, you know, you can, you can 
debate the the merits of that manner of speaking, but they right you know, well, uh, RFK quoting Aeschylus and yeah like they, because they were just fucking right. Rich I mean, kids. there are these things where it's like you know people feel like you have to you have to speak deliberately, like you're a leader and stuff like yeah. that. But Nixon took this other tack, which was just to be like, you know, uh, after careful consideration, you know, I've thought about this and I've thought about that, and I really mm-hmm. just think that. But it was like it, it was somehow. Uh, just so not condescending, right? You know, um, and and he talks like that in, yeah. in all of his life, whether it's interviews, you know, uh, speeches, etc. Like yeah. there's always there's kind of a humility behind it at all, and like it it really uh, speaks to also his position in life because he he grew up so poor, yeah. You know, Whittier, yeah, and um, so he said he basically tried to use that tone as much as possible in all of his public life yeah. thereafter. Um, 1928, at the start of junior year, he convinced his parents to let him uh, go back to Whittier High. And um, there he suffered his first defeat for election for student body president. Um, at this time, he, uh, he would rise at 4 a.m. to drive the family truck to L.A. to buy vegetables for his father's gas station, uh, you know, kind of grocery store. And uh, he would go to the markets there and um, bring them back to the family grocery where he would wash them and display them all. And this is all before school every day. Jesus Christ. Right. And uh, What happened to the other four fucking brothers? Oh, they're all dancing. Uh, I think they might have been dancing. Uh, Harold the, the, the Dissolute. Um, <laughs> Harold the Dissolute. <laughs> named after Harold <laughs> the Dissolute the King. Dissolute, yeah. yeah, yeah. Harold the Depraved. Um, Harold had been diagnosed um, with uh, tuberculosis the year before. And um, his mother took him to an Arizona hospital that kind of specialized in TB. The dry air. So Nixon's duties increased even more because now the mother's not there. So and neither is the sick brother. So he's doing all of this shit before school, going to school, and he's still graduating third in his class of 207. Like he's still just killing it in school. Um, he was offered a tuition grant for uh, Harvard, but Harold's uh, tuberculosis meant uh, that Dick Nixon had to stay Close to the homestead. What, to you know? rub Vicks Vapo rub on his fucking chest? Well, you gotta, you, you gotta fucking polish the peaches before dad sells them, <laughs> right. you know, pumping gas or whatever. Jesus. There's only one left. Yeah, so um, he was needed at the store, and uh, he went to Whittier College while working with money given from uh, his mother's father. He played uh, for the basketball team, but wasn't big enough for football. He stayed on the team as a sub and was noted for his enthusiasm. Huh. God, Student I... tries, effort is good. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine later being like one of these guys on the team being like, remember that plucky little guy that was all like, way to go, fellas, he's the president Is that now. Dick? Is yeah. That, is that... I'd, love to see him sh- oh, I'd love to see him shoot a jump shot. Uh, so the Whittier College had no frats, no sororities, um, but they did have literary societies, right? Uh-huh. But Nixon was snubbed by the only one for men, um, the Franklins, as uh, many members were from prominent families. Unlike Nixon, who oh. was from shit people. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of prominent, wittier families. <laughs> right, right. But you can imagine, can you imagine how dirt poor these people must have been? Jesus. So, um, this yes, is... Yes, I remember seeing you at the Five and Dime when I, I purchased a head of iceberg lettuce. There was a spot on it, boy. <laughs> yeah. Well, did you not wake up at 4.01 in the morning? I to... wake up at 6 to get the, le- the lettuce and vegetables. So you could be at Harvard... And now you can't get into the literary society at Whittier College. God, no one did. The only sh- one for men. No frats. None of that bullshit. You can't get into the only, like, 
extra society, right? It was probably a, I mean, it was probably a frat of sorts. You know, they'd all read poetry and slap each other in the ass. So this really feeds into. Hey, I mean, hey, um, I mean, nothing wrong with that. I mean, that. poetry's gay. <laughs> this <laughs> but, ass fucking is just normal frat behavior. I mean, all oh, of right, the positive. Right, that's right. just good times. Yeah, all of it. It's po- just, it's just sensible putting your shit where it should be. Now, poetry, that's debatable. <laughs> right, uh, but slam poetry is dope. Right? Yeah, but well, slamming slam guys. If you're slamming a guy's ass right, it is poetry. <laughs> That's meter. So, um, Nixon, snubbed by the only one, um, in response, forms his own. Right? Uh, the Orthogonian Society. Uh, he runs the society, works the store for the family. Uh, he's doing schoolwork, um, and he still makes time for all these other extracurricular activities. This guy is just going. Well, it's like you've said it to me, and I don't know where you got it from, but, uh, you know, if you want to get something done, ask a busy person. You said that to me. I did? <laughs> I had never heard that before you said it to me. Fuck. I'm what so a, busy, what I forget. T- what, a, what a testament to our relationship <laughs> that you think your wisdom bestowed on me was it's bestowed It's actually my on own you. wisdom. Wow. Yeah. You're learning a lot here. Wow. So uh, I've never heard that at all. I'm so. learning for myself. <laughs> but, it, but yeah, exactly. It is true. It's like, you know, yeah. You yeah. want something done? Ask a busy person because this guy was just, I mean. He's doing shit. The allotment of time is just insane, yeah. you know. Um, and at this point, there's also, there's nothing promised, this man. He's just doing his duty. Right. He's just taking care of the family. There's yeah. no, like, oh, later. Light at the end of the tunnel. There's no later on you can go to Harvard. There's nobody promising right. him anything. He's given up his best. The most promising thing option he had, right? He, and, he couldn't do, and and that was from uh, you know uh, grandfather money. Even was just going to this college where he's even looked down upon, right? Oh, um, so this really kind of like all of this upbringing really kind of gives you a glimpse into the mind of Nixon as you know when he becomes the staunch conservative. You know, all all of these guys now that we think of as as the big Republicans, they're all like rich guys, and they all grow up rich. You know, like you got to think about Nixon's conviction as a conservative coming from nothing. Right. And of course, he still has like white privilege and things like that. And uh, but but I mean, he really was coming from a place of there's not really any avenues. There's certainly not much given to him. Yeah. You know, everything he's doing, he's working for himself. So it really makes you understand how he he really believes in that uh, picking yourself up from your bootstraps. If I can and, do uh, it, you yeah, can do it. Right. If you just try it, you know, all that kind of shit. And especially this is you know like, you know, the twenties now into the thirties. Well, if shit. there is any person who can have kind of a you know uh, um, a proof is in the pudding conservative mindset, it is him. Right, right. It is. See, I, I worked my right. way up with a car. I woke up four in the morning and I, I washed fucking onions. Uh, they had a lot of dirt on them, and then you just got to shine them off, and then right. you go back to school, and then you take care of your sick brother, and then you go. You know. Right, exactly. It's, it's a little more inspiring than my money shielded me from my drinking. Yeah, right. and, and it's also it's also the kind of thing where you know um, you know his principles are led a lot by. Um, you know, this kind of, like, older American thinking of, of doing the right thing because of, you know, perhaps. Duty. Yeah, and, and, you know, maybe, you know, your religion comes into it and all that kind of thing. But it really shows you when he goes off the rails later that he's so secure in everything he does because to, from his position, he's doing everything for the absolute right reason. Right. There's, there's, there's no, like, nepotism or corruption at this time. He's coming from the totally honest place, so it's easy to see how he gets so corrupt later. Right, because you buy your own bullshit, and right. you start say, thinking that the ends justify the means, and right. that's where it gets dangerous, because the road to hell is paved with um, 
washed iceberg lettuce. Right. What's the what's the four a.m. vegetable run? At right. Forty six. Right. No. So when he's doing all these things, all these extracurricular activities, and you know he's uh, you it's know taking care of the store and and doing all this shit, and he's just becoming known generally as a hard worker to everyone. Like he, he's really building his reputation, um, just as a guy that fucking gets shit done. And he's mm-hmm. also still becoming a champion debater. He gets better and better at debate. Right. Um, in '33, he became engaged to the police the police chief's. Daughter, nineteen thirty. So nineteen thirty three. Give me a what? what, what junior year was twenty eight. So he's like twenty two. His now. junior year of high school or junior year of college is nineteen twenty eight. High school. Uh, yeah, I believe that was that was. So he's going to high school in the depression. Yeah. So that's why he's waking up at four in the morning. He's got to go. That's get, why all that dirt in his lungs. Well, yeah, and that's why you got to go get the four heads of lettuce that yeah. exist in the state. Right. If you yeah. cut them up right, it looks like eight. <laughs> So he he's engaged to this police chief's Fuck, daughter, you that's know, rough, man. and and it's again, you know, he's just you know proving himself in Whittier as this kind of like you know who's a good dude is that Dick Nixon, you yeah. Know? So Ola Welch is the girl. Ugh. Uh, <laughs> they break up in 1935 um, after uh, graduation from the Whittier College in in 34. Did he, they get uh, married or they were just engaged? They were just engaged. So they got okay, good for him. He gets a full scholarship to Duke Law. Right after Whittier, after Whittier, and wow. uh, it's a new school, and they sought basically like these kind of characters, the top students yeah. from all these things, people that were go getters, and they they got professors with national, international reputations that were uh, hired, and scholarships became more competitive because suddenly Duke is shaping up to be a really good school. Um, but Nixon kept his; he never lost it. Right, he still stayed at the top of the competition for a scholarship. You know, because it like suddenly it was getting flooded. You know, um, and uh, he kept his scholarship. He uh, became by election president of the Duke Bar Association. He was inducted to the Order of the Coif, uh, which is uh, perhaps a hair thing. Oh, the Coif, Coif, like a Morrissey deal. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes, that's why he met Nixon later. Yeah, that, or, 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 or uh, Elvis later. The slight curl in his locks there. Um, yes. like a little dandyish. Yes, it is. And again, in in June 1937, he graduated third in his class, third once again for some reason, um, and he was hoping to join the FBI. Right. Oh Christ! Yeah. <laughs> so this is this is you know uh, classic Hoover FBI. And this is this is a, a recently formed yeah. FBI. This is a nascent FBI. Yes. Yes. And I mean, it's so crazy to think about when you think about his relationship later with Hoover. Ugh. You know. Um, and uh, he received no that's, response to I his do, application. You know. And so he he found out years and years later that he had been accepted, but the uh, the job had been rescinded. That he, that he applied for or whatever this. Oh, they got thing. rid of the position. Yes. Um, huh. So mm. it was it was due to budget cuts or whatever because like you said right. it was a brand new organization. Right. So he got accepted for the job, but then they got. Rid he of never the... heard anything back. Right. But right. he found out later. You know, like he was probably like, "Hey, why the fuck didn't I?" Get well, we outsourced it to China. <laughs> right. Yeah, look at all this. So he goes back to California and he passed the bar in '37 and he began practicing with the firm uh, Winger and Bewley in Whittier on commercial litigation for petroleum. Companies that operated locally and uh, other uh, corporate areas as well as, uh, like, working on people's wills. Right. Uh, later on, Nixon would kind of brag about how he was proud to be the only modern president that worked as a practicing lawyer. He was, like, the only one that wasn't, like, you know, kind of, like, a lawyer on, you know, constitutional shit. He was, like, a lawyer that yeah, you fucking— law. Yeah, law. Right, you know. But, but also, at that time, working with oil companies, I mean, that's a pretty good place Especially in L.A. Yeah. in the 30s and 40s. Sure, sure, yeah. There was a huge oil boom here. A lot of, a lot of wet palms. Uh, I, I really like uh, this yeah. detail. Well, well, um, with oil. 
he was uh, reluctant to work divorces because he disliked Frank's sexual talk from women. Uh, Wait, what? Uh, it's that Quaker. Of course upbringing. he does. Yeah. This woman started talking she said about she can't these. get off, and uh, she had to get rid of the fella. Start shaking. <laughs> so, so, yeah, he didn't like all this frank sexual talk. Like, what were these women going in and saying? Well, they were probably saying, uh, I'm not happy. Yeah. He's like, oh, he doesn't fuck ooh. me right, dick. Yeah. Jesus ooh. Christ. Is that dick me or dick me? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, he opens his own branch of the firm. Um, you know, of, of course, excelling in law in 1938. Just men's divorces. And he uh, he makes partner the next year. In January 1938, he was uh, cast in the Whittier Community Players production of The Dark Tower. So uh, he's, he's acting? While yeah. All this well, is. it is L.A. <laughs> That's well, well, is it law is just a sidekick. <laughs> so he's doing uh, this uh, Dark Tower play opposite a high school teacher, Thelma Pat Ryan. What right? The, wait, what, the Dark Tower? No, not no, Idris yeah. Elba shit. Like, <laughs> not not Stephen King. Oh, okay. <laughs> right, yeah. but no, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it was later made into a movie with, uh, I think, like, Edward G. Robinson or something like that. The guy uh, hosted eight Turner classic movies? <laughs> he can he? do many things, you know? <laughs> Edward G. Robinson? It sounds like it. Yeah. He's an actor. We'll just, we'll just talk about what you know him from. How does that sound? <laughs> Man, fuck you guys. <laughs> So Thelma Pat Ryan uh, was um, Nixon said it was love at first sight with this uh, with this girl in the Whittier community players doing the Dark Tower, um, and Pat did not return the affection, <laughs> and she turned him down many times. And um, one of those, our staunchest supporter uh, Laura Crawford was telling me. Um, You'll, you'll enjoy this, Aaron, because you're a bit of a cuck. Uh, <laughs> a bit? Yeah. Fuck, you just cucked me on being a cuck. Uh, Nixon, uh, w- w- like, while, you know, being turned down by Pat, would drive her to other dates with other men. Oh, what a piece true. of shit. <laughs> oh, man. So, like, well, I hope you have a nice time tonight. Well, and, uh, you, you know, know if he does anything, if he has any frank sexual talk, just uh, call me and we can talk about it, and I'll give him a good talking to him. If you need a ride later, can't um, work your bits or flick your bean or something. Perhaps old Dick could help you out. Don't uh, let him call no. you Pat. So she's he, he's driving her to all these dates. She's getting plowed down like a fucking lunatic. <laughs> uh, presumably, presumably, <laughs> probably, okay. presumably. Watch I mean, the Frank talk. Watch watch the Frank talk. Alpha bulls like Matt here. <laughs> Take it easy. Again. <laughs> Imagine the Whittier football team, the guys that play. Let's not yeah. talk about sex yes. with Nixon. All right? guys that actually play the game. <laughs> they were as enthusiastic about uh. plowing down Pat, you know, as he was about giving them water or whatever. Is that the water boy? But so so he keeps it up, you know, and he's you know, he's driving her around, she's getting fucking turned out and whatever, he's picking her up. <laughs> Try, try not to drip on the seats, honey. <laughs> Who knows where those fellas have been? I don't know those, uh, those one those bench ones, seats. Bench so they yeah, make yeah. a left turn yeah, and then slide, slide into his thigh. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Thelma, I'm getting half a Whittier's cum on my right thigh. They should invent seatbelts. Pat, you're walking with a bit of a limp there. So. <laughs> Get in the truck. I have, to, I have to be in L.A. for the market at 4 in the morning. <laughs> so, I'm glad you called me. I was up anyways. <laughs> so w- w- she eventually takes him up on it, but once they begin dating, he's like immediately proposing to her, right? I guess we're both up early polishing cucumbers. <laughs> oh, this one's a pickle. 
That's a pickle. Wow, this one's an eggplant. I call it a dickle. So she oh, she man. she won't she won't she won't marry him, right? She's like, no. we we got to go out. But I think you know he's engaged before Ola Welch. You know what I mean? And uh, and, and you know there's small town Whittier, right? And um, you're thinking there's Ola Welch over there. You know she's getting put down too. And so <laughs> put down put down like a dog. Uh, and and it's so she won't she she will not uh, you know uh, accept his uh, offer of marriage uh, for two years of dating. Even though he she's a a lowly, uh, desperate uh, actress. High school and, teacher. Actress. <laughs> she's in the community players, yeah, yeah, but I mean, she's it's a high like school fucking teacher. waiting for Guffman. Like, it's not as if she's going to take waiting off. Waiting for the... Godot, but yeah. <laughs> uh, and he's a practicing lawyer. Uh, he is. High-powered he is. attorney. Yeah. Well, he's, I mean. Oil I, men. Sure, sure, sure. But, uh. But he is also a piece of shit. <laughs> so eventually, you know, he wears her down or whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah, he... wears her patience then. And uh, they get married in 1940 in a small ceremony. You know, you don't want to tell everybody you're fucking getting married to this gremlin man. <laughs> Who used to drive you around to get plowed yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With a chauffeur. And, uh... Driving you out to South Central. <laughs> Later on, they would have two children, two girls. Those uh, white people back in, uh, yeah, in okay. South Central. Trisha uh, would be born in 1946, Julie in 1948. Uh, but so before... they got to it. But, but no, well, no, that that was a. Uh, but before this, uh, the you know oh. the war hits right because they get married in 1940, and uh, the Nixons oh, moved okay. to D.C. Um, huh. He's uh, applied for the office of Price Administration, right? We're all doing the war, and we got to do the rationing. Oh et right, right, butter and aluminum, and uh, mm-hmm. he, he he's doing a uh, tire rationing, you know. Oh, you can't just have any old tire. We need tires for these one. for these jeeps. So he's uh, he's yeah he's real he's real fickle with the tires, you know, and well, stingy. Um, yeah, rubber's a good. He thing hates it, you know. He he's like this sucks, and he, he leaves for the navy now, and he he could have had exemption as a Quaker, you know, uh, for religious uh, absolutely. Conscious? Yeah, he could have he oh. could have been a conscientious objector and uh, received it. But um, but not Muhammad Ali. <laughs> but he, I think he was kind of known as 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 a do-gooder kind of guy, and he he was given some kind of good office type job, and he said no. He's like, I want sea duty. He's like, I want to see the action and stuff like that, you know. And and um, and uh, he wow. gets a job there, you know, supporting logistics, and it's still kind of office work. But he's you know he's on a fucking boat, and he's organizing the manifests of, of uh, like, the C-7 planes and everything that's going to be landing and organizing oh, cargo, yeah. And he gets a commendation ribbon for efficient performance of duty as officer in charge of South Pacific Combat Air Transport Command. Enthusiasm is good. Mm-hmm. Yes. Logistics. And uh, he's later uh, transferred back to the Alameda Naval Air Station. Um, transferred again to the Bureau of Aeronautics in 1945 because now the war's winding down, and uh, he's closing out war contracts. All the shit they've been buying that we don't need and anymore. And that's that's back in L.A. Yeah, yeah, he's back here now, right? Yeah, yeah. L- that's, that was a big part of like L.A.'s boom was the the war. Yeah, I, you know, I really didn't know until I moved here how Huge. much of the military industrial complex is in a city like L.A. It was. I mean, yeah, it, but you still see it when you come off LAX, like, you know, J- Hughes and Raytheon and, yeah. and all that shit. But, yeah. but I mean, that, that it has since kind of dwindled down. But it, it was sense. It's it was, coastal and, yeah. Edwards but, Air Force Base is out here and all that stuff. But Right, you got all was, the people here to work it and yeah. shit. Like but I, I, I don't know the exact number, but I believe that the population doubled or, or tripled after the war. Yeah. Here? Yeah. Really? Yes. Wow. I mean, all these people are stationed here, and they're like, oh, yeah, I can... Well, and you could buy a house, right, and you can, you can real take it from... Right, take now it you've from, taken uh, in a little bit of surfing and shit, like, I'm going to stick around this place. But, I mean, know? also, all, you know, it's like they, the Japanese were taken out, right? You know, sure. You know, all these white people come in. Um, right. Um, there was, uh, there was what, that uh, 
that uh, the Zoot Suit Riot. Yeah. And there's all these. Yes, yes, yes. Throwback a bottle of beer. Yeah, I'm. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, John. <laughs> you talking about the Cherry Poppin' Daddies or what? Yeah, I know you are. Cher- cherry Poppin' Daddies right here. Hey, whoa. <laughs> Maybe you, bro. Uh, so, yeah, he gets polishing. more commendations. And this is one of those things where it's like. You know, you kind of wonder about even the military in in the uh, in like the sense of did he get commendations later because they knew he was kind of a rising political star? Like, does the army kind of play along with that? That was something I I, huh. I, I wondered about while doing this research. Hmm. Do they kind of know these guys that are going to be somebody and be like, you know, that guy could do with a few more medals for his uh, you know kind of pedigree as a politician later That's on. That's interesting. Well, I mean, it's kind of, I mean, you but know, he's such a hard worker too. I'm not besmirching yeah, him anything, but it, it, it's kind of like you know. It, but he's really doing, and he's doing it well. But he's basically doing desk work. You know, like he's yeah, you know. That's uh, interesting. Um, but it was something I I, I wonder because he gets more commendations towards the end, um, and uh, he you know he stays on in the Navy, Navy Reserve until technically 1966. I mean, this is long after he ran for president yeah. the first time. You know. Um, and he retired as a commander, you know, like, uh, I think in, in, in 1945, at the end of the war, he was lieutenant commander. Um, in 1946, uh, during the congressional elections, the Republicans in his 12th congressional district of California um, were looking for somebody to defeat this guy, uh, Jerry Voorhees. Oh, father of Jason. <laughs> no, no, no. It's no. a little different. Un- uncle. <laughs> and um, they've had so much, like, primary infighting that they form, like, this committee of 100 to be like, we are going to lock down on a person and all totally get behind him because we really want to defeat this guy. Right. And they don't, they don't come up with anybody. And then uh, the Whittier Bank of America branch manager... Um, Nominates Freddy Krueger. <laughs> nominates uh, Nixon, and uh, they had served on some kind of other thing before, and he was just like, "There's something about this guy." Mm-hmm. And this is one of these things too, where you're like, "The Whittier Bank of America guy is responsible for Nixon getting into fucking politics." Like, what the fuck? I mean, the, I'm, I'm guessing the bank was a huge deal. You know, that's a lot of when you right, run a bank in a town. It's the Bank of America, <laughs> you know. But like. He's he's kind of off doing still like you know uh, all all navy shit traveling around and stuff like that like he this this nomination is made in his absence it's not as if he's sitting there next uh-huh. to him like he's out of sight out of mind and this guy's still like you know who's... and he and he never declared like I'd like to do this it not just... at all not at all wow well and and, and uh, they um he he talks to him to Nixon about it and Nixon speaks with uh, Pat his wife about it and uh, they talk really kind of excitedly about it and then he accepts. And uh, he goes against Voorhees, and he plays up um, that Voorhees was nominated by, um, you know, now we're talking, it's 46, right? So the next big thing is the Reds and the commies. Yeah. And some commie organization endorsed Voorhees, and Nixon played that up to the hilt. Yeah. And um, he, he, he beats the shit out of him, right? He beats him by 15,000 votes. And this guy was, like, unbeatable before, right. you know? But it's this first thing where you see, like, how Nixon gets campaigning, where he's kind of doing some stuff where it's like, well, this is just some group that endorsed this guy. It doesn't mean that that guy... Speaks for them. ...is a or, communist. Right. Yeah, like, it's ridiculous, you know? But it was very also of the time. It was the kind of yeah. things that you would bring up. Um, you know, you know, debate. You know, take you take every advantage you can. Yeah. Uh, he uh, he uh, he wins by fifteen thousand. He's uh, now in Congress. He supports the Taft Hartley Act, hey. and um, that's uh, that's very 
you know, House of Un-American activities type shit. It's about supervising the activities of unions being like, hey, are you guys communists? Come on, let's yeah. talk here. You know, um, and he's uh, he's he's on the Herder Committee, right, which is a, a post-war committee that um, is, is basically about um, dealing with Europe after the war. And he's the youngest on it, and he's the only person from, you know, the western part of America. And it leads to uh, Congress approving the Marshall Plan, basically. That's huh. what comes out of that. And so he's involved in that. Um, he's involved in the House on Un-American Activities in uh, February 47. Um, he sponsors the uh, Munt-Nixon bill, which, you know, kind of brings him, you know, to prominence. His now. name's on a bill. His mm-hmm. name's on the bill, which requires registration um, of any Communist Party members, right? Yeah. Um, it required statements of sources from any commie front media outlets like which was all of them <laughs> in their in their eyes anyone you didn't agree anything with. you think is a commie media outlet now has to like kind of like you know provide all this bullshit it's just basically harassment and taking names yeah, yeah. and it, it's so funny to me that like this shit was going on immediately after the holocaust where it's like Ta- oh making lists making lists yeah. of people and well and, i mean that's 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 kind of like the abused always replicates the pattern of the abuser <laughs> right right, right. right. And, and 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 to be fair, uh, the the Soviet menace or communism was a big deal. Like, right, absolutely. But and there is this thing that that you don't want to admit is kind of a good thing at the time. But we need to unite against the external tormentor. Mm-hmm. No, what what I was going to say is the kind of people that would be checking that power by Nixon would actually be the far right of his party. The people that were still isolationists and stuff like right. that. Yeah. The people that Hardcore end, end up being like the militia people yeah. and the thing of like, you know, listen, nothing matters with the Constitution. America first, second. And like freedom of speech no matter what. You yeah. don't have to check sources. Like there's there is that libertarian element yeah. that is at the, the far right of his party, right? Right. And he's elected in 46 at the same time JFK is. To uh, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah, also in the House, right? Mm-hmm. And they... And who was also a, like, who was a, a legit World War II hero. Mm-hmm. Also in the Navy. Right. And they they're, they become friends. But a pilot, right? No, no, no. He, uh, um, uh, no, he was... He a, was uh, it's like a transport boat or something. Seaman. Uh, a sea- also yeah. a seaman. Yes. They're two seamen. Yes, two seamen swimming together. Uh-huh. Um, so, uh, and, and JFK was actually, you know, really just as terrified of communism as, yeah. as Nixon. And he ran in that election as a, quote, fighting conservative. Like, he was yeah. he was kind of, you know, to the right of, of his left at the time, right, which would be far more kind of New Deal uh, Democrats mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And Nixon was more to the center on the other side, being against all these isolationist Republicans. So there's right. this weird kinship that starts between these yeah, two guys. Yeah, their Venn diagram kind of overlapped. It. Yeah, and, and, and in a very interesting way. Um, so uh, then he, he, he gets his other big brace in the House... Um, Again, with the House on American Activities, um, uh, with uh, breaking the Alger Hiss case. Um, Alger Hiss was this guy that was charged with um, bringing secrets to the Soviets by this guy, uh, Whitaker Chambers. And, um, you know, he strenuously denied it. And Whitaker Chambers um, basically convinced Nixon that this guy was a spy and they, they prosecuted him. And during the trial, Whitaker Chambers actually produced evidence that both of them uh, divulged some secrets. And so both of them, like, kind of got in trouble, even though uh. Whitaker had said, I didn't, I never did that. I didn't do shit. And um, it led to uh, Alger Hiss being uh, convicted of lying under oath. Uh, and as, as 
well as Whitaker Chambers, but Whitaker Chambers was a cooperating witness, so uh, yeah. he did no time. There's not a lot of takey backsies. Yeah. Right. So Alger Hiss did like three and a half years of like a ten year sentence, but game it was... theory, man. That's that's game theory at its uh, the prisoner's dilemma. Right. Yeah. yeah exactly. But this yeah. on your friend, and you get to go. This guy was er- early State Department. Alger Hiss. A lot of people thought like he was like early part of like forming the United Nations. A lot of people thought this was like a patriot really done wrong. But some historians in later years say that he was probably a Soviet cooperator. So Nixon just doubles down. Well, who do you know at, at that point? Sorry, like at that point, if you're let's just say you're him, and I don't know the details, ins and outs of the story, but nobody really does. You don't. If you're him at that point, you don't know who's going to be the world player. You got to kind of hedge your bets, right? Like what, maybe, Nixon? No, this Alger Hiss character. Oh, sure, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you know if you're if you're the type of character that's going to be instrumental in orchestrating the United Nations or. League of Nations or whatever was going on. Right. Maybe you are talking to the Soviets at the same time because, fuck, who knows? They might be the superpower in five years. Sure, yeah. Well, you've just seen, you know, the last couple of years not knowing who the fuck was going to yeah. come out on tap. So or if anybody's going to. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, you know, the formation of the United Nations, it, it's the, the big powers are Russia and, and England and the United yeah. States. Yeah, so you kind of have to be talking to them. And so in theory, they're supposed to be all working together, but as soon as the war ends, then it's... See you later. Right. So these are the kind of things in the House that, that really uh, boost Nixon's profile. I mean, this uh, this this act that he, he did, the Munt-Nixon Act, was... It passed th- 319 to 58. That's but patriotism, it was, baby. It was defeated in the Senate, right? Wow, okay. Um, Thank God. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> so then Fuck he starts, the you know, throwing around the idea of, of, of doing the Senate, right? And uh, this guy, uh, Sheridan Downey, is um, having, a, like, a, a, a deal uh, fighting off this woman, Helen Douglas, right? And uh, Helen Douglas is kind of like the Hollywood liberal type, and uh, and Nixon is, is like, he, he, wants to, he wants to get in the thick of it with these two. Mm. And uh, Downey... Bows out, right? Because it's it's just too contentious. So Helen Douglas is the nominee, right? And uh, he for go- Senate, for Senate, and uh, yeah, it's it's crazy to think about this woman running for Senate in like in fucking nineteen fifty, yeah. you know? Um, but she's, because that was before women knew how to do stuff. Well, it's just like I mean, like it's it's crazy just to think that there was somebody that was going to be a senator that was a woman in nineteen fifty. But then she's also like this like L.A. character of like the the early Hollywood liberal sort of right. And, uh, and well, that it's post war. So like when it's post war, the, the game has changed, yeah. right? Sure. Women yeah. Like, oh wow, women can do shit. Let's yeah. And it's California, and we're trying to show that we're more enlightened than the rest. But she's of these, she's pretty far to the left, even in mm. her own party. So. Uh-huh. Uh, Nixon, uh, you know, he starts kind of doing the same shit where he's, he's basically, you know, lining her up as, as a commie. And he's, re- he's red baiting. He's got a, he's got like a pink sheet for everybody to do all this shit that links her to communism. Right. And he trounces her by like fucking 20% or something right. like that, you know? And during that campaign, the shit he did led to him being called Tricky Dick for the first time. And, no shit. And that shit stuck forever. Because he played hardball. He read too. Yeah, I mean, there is this thing where it's like, I mean, maybe to him all these people were communists, but do I really believe that right. he believed it? I don't know. I mean, uh-huh. it, it doesn't doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, in his mind, it doesn't matter whether she is or not. He's he's doing what he has to do to win. Yeah, but I I, I think that he actually does. You think he believed it? I think he, th- I think he thought that it was just a, close enough, a stepping stone away, right? To and that. I, I, to be fair, I think a lot of people at that time had an earnest, whether however misguided it was, 
Oh, yeah. I think a lot of people did have an earnest fear of... Yeah. I mean, they killed 20 million people in Russia. Sure, yeah. Of their own people. And they do a really good job in, in the... Uh, the J. Edgar movie of of showing how he becomes such a staunch anti-communist because like it shows like his early law enforcement days are, are going into anarchist bombing things. Right. So it's like showing you like, you know, this thing of like these people really, really feared this, you know. Yeah. But also at the same time, you forget that JFK was just as fearful of it. Like these guys were yeah. both centrist, you know, congressmen at the same mm -hmm. time that were like, I mean, JFK was distancing himself from the New Deal. You know, like because all of how... How leftist it was. Or even, I mean, you could even call it fascist. Right. Well, he was saying, like, it, it was all about rights and not responsibility. That was actually his own words. Huh. Where it was, like, about, like, you're entitled to this instead of being, like, right. you know, ask not what your country can do for you. That's so emblematic of, of him being really kind of right. a centrist, you know? Yeah, and I wonder how much of that is playing to the wind and how much isn't. Right. Uh, but I think, I mean, Nixon... Through all of these things we're hearing, every single story is Nixon doing whatever he needs to do. He's doing whatever he needs to do to keep his family together. Right. That's going at 4 a.m. Uh, uh, he, he does, in order to, to marry Pat, he does every single right. thing. And I'll he, drive you to get fucked even, by all these yeah, colored fellows. I don't, I don't care. He does whatever he needs to do. It's horrible, sorry. And, these colored fellows. Well, it's because in the time it was taboo, and I feel like... Yeah, she had to sow some oats. It's, it's historically accurate. Thank it, you, it makes it seem uh, hotter. <laughs> for me, yes. Yeah, for absolutely. Me, for me, me I love it. But for him, it must have been horrible because he was a racist. Yeah. Which we can talk about in part two. We, yeah, yeah. Um, but again, he's doing whatever he needs to do. To so get the job done. Maybe it isn't that horrible because in his mind, the ends are justified. Yeah, the very I, Machiavellian. I, I, yeah. Do, I do truly believe that he always felt like he was doing the right thing. Um and it, it's it's right for but him, that, right? Or... Because even the bad guy thinks they're the good guy. Well, well, but uh, so I'll kind of I'll kind of get more into that. Like you see more and more and more of that as it continues. But um, so he, yeah, he does you know these things, and you know, I mean, really, I really honestly believe that he might have thought that this woman was like a secret communist. You know, um, huh. so he's you know now he's in the Senate, and um, he he keeps. Friendly but distant from Joe McCarthy because the whole you know Red Scare thing is still continuing, but you know you can kind of smell that off. it's yeah it's not going to go that well. Yeah, they look crazy. Um, he he's keeping distance in the Senate from Joe McCarthy, right? Mm -hmm. And his voting record is very very interesting as a senator because he's voting. Uh, for statehood for Alaska and Hawaii, right? Um, he's, oh man, this is when there are forty-eight stars in the flag. Right, he's voting in favor of civil rights for minorities. Um, he's supporting federal disaster relief for India and Yugoslavia. Is like a very like kind of like international approach. So, so India is going through their ind independence, right? At the, at the, from from the British Empire at that point, point. Right. and Yugoslavia. Uh, gosh, is this the stuff with fucking Moberg going on at that point? Uh, it would be like uh, the forties. This would Late, be kind of like early 50s. 50s? Yeah, that yeah, might yeah. be the Moberg skydiving into Yugoslavia. Right. So, okay. Wait, but now, are these things that Calif like as California's representative, was he echoing his the constituency? Of the constituency? Um, I mean, you know, Nixon Nixon was was 
Well, first of all, California is also secretively, like, very conservative. Yes. Right? It's, it, it, the right. state legislature has always been very Republican and stuff like that, and people forget about it, that it's just, like, these couple of, of, of patches that are very— Right. As the population increased toward the cities, it became a very left-leaning state, but it, geographically it's red. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. Yeah. But yeah. San Francisco, San Diego, Los Angeles, it's blue. There's still there's still enough um, of, of conservative stuff going on here to, right. to totally support what he's doing. And also, he's a centrist, right? Like, it's— you know, he's kind of really doing what he actually thinks is best uh, on. Like, right, he's uh, voting along his conscience, yes. not party lines. Um, he's still he's still voting against benefits for illegal immigrants, right? And uh, you know, he, uh, against price controls. Like you know, remember he's been the fucking mm-hmm. oil guy uh, right. lawyer and shit like that. And he's that. been the tire price fixer, <laughs> right? Right. Um, and uh, so then he 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 suddenly like. Thrown in amongst the list of names to be uh, vice president for Eisenhower running, right? In 50. In 50. Yeah. I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense because suddenly there's power in the West. Right. And, you know, and you're, trying to, you're trying to drag a constituency across uh, all, oh, all, yeah. all over the country. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. It's, you know, it's a, it's a brand new thing. And, um, you know, those guys would, uh, you know, the Democrats were always like, I need a North-South guy. And Republicans at that time were more like, we need an East-West guy. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. know, uh, country and Western. Yeah. You know? Oh, rhythm and blues. <laughs> You're right. So, both. so uh, it, it, I'm sorry, it's 1952 that Eisenhower is elected by the Republicans. And, um, you know, he uh, he really didn't have, like, any preference for a VP, um, but... Republican people basically got together in like what it sounds like a total conspiracy theory thing, like a smoke-filled room. But it probably and, was because yeah, everybody smoked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the name that comes out is fucking is is Richard Nixon. I mean, like he's 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 a kid too. He's he's thirty nine. Jesus. You know, I think he's the second youngest VP ever. When like when they got into office, mm-hmm. he was he was forty. Punching um, over for the youth vote with Nixon, and it's basically it's about California because of the political base there for Republicans, but it's also his stance against communism. How you know, uh, mm-hmm. like notable he is in his in, war record. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, his polishing uh, produce record. He's oh, just he's just seen as as a vote winner. You know, he is this bootstraps guy. He is that era of what the Republicans would claim to be. You know, of like this guy worked real hard. Tried his best, and now, by golly, he's going to be the vice president. Well, as you can see, over the past, I don't know, let's say four elections, you can see that your VP pick can make or break your national election hopes. Yeah, it says everything about your judgment, you know? And it's it's kind of like your... It's your, it's your appeal to the rest of the base, right? You know, Trump right. picks Pence, and all of a sudden, and and Clinton picked the other guy, who nobody gave a shit about. And Good Gore? No, oh, Hillary. Hillary. Oh, Tim Kaine. Hillary picked Tim. Uh, uh, Tim who? Exactly, right? Day. Yeah. And, but him, Trump picked Pence and appeals right. to the conservative base, right? And then you have, um, in every other simulation, John McCain beats Barack Obama. Right, but he. But he picks fucking Sarah the Ala- Palin. Sarah Palin. Yeah. And just nose dives, right? So th- that. It's a weird strategic pit. It's a weird strategic choice. That yeah. It's although it's ceremonial yeah, position, well, it's symbolic. But well, it, it does. It, it kind of yeah. changes here because you know Eisenhower is you know this former general and 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 uh, with Nixon he kind of really initiates um, what 
Nixon's biographer later said was the first modern vice presidency. Like um, Nixon is the one going on the attack on the campaign trail while Eisenhower talks about his vision for the country, right? Uh, so that's just in campaigning, right? I, mean, it, I, I guess it's a very – he's kind of the perfect pick because you don't want Eisenhower to be an aggressor. He's supposed to bring everybody together. Right. Sure, he's yeah. the general of the entire country. Right. And yeah. so you have this plucky – Guy yeah, go and be in the barnstormer and be in the, the aggro man. Right, and and in a testament to the 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 innocence of the times, uh, seemingly this is innocence of the times after they dropped nuclear bombs. Of Twice. course, right. um, the Republican ticket uh, on the people that they put in camps in in September. Uh, couple of months before the election, right, they, they had a huge crisis. There was uh, the media reported that Nixon had a political fund that was maintained by his backers, which uh, reimbursed him for political expenses. Well, you know, well. Some campaign finance. Oh, they're paid for his dinners? And it was not illegal, but it exposed uh, Nixon to allegations of possible conflict of interest, which is just uh, the way it is now. Yes. Right, right. They paid um, for dinners? Yeah. And, uh, was there corn? So Did he polish it? <laughs> based on just that, there was pressure on Eisenhower to drop Nixon from the ticket. And uh, Nixon, uh, still a senator at the time, goes on TV. And um, he delivers an address uh, to the nation. Um, which uh, it was heard by about 60 million Americans. And At that point, there were probably 150? Probably about there, yeah. And uh, it's it's the largest television audience up to that point. I mean, 60 million. Before the Super perfect, Bowl. Right? perfect medium, like the perfect timing with the perfect medium. Yes. And Nixon goes about it in, in you know, kind of this, this politically brilliant way where he's like emotionally saying, uh, you know, defending himself that, the fund isn't secret. Uh, there's no donors receiving any special favors. And um, he said um, he's a man of modest means and that his wife had no mink coat. And uh, instead she wore a Which quote, is a – that is a knock on Stalin, right? Or even Lenin, I think. Wow. Yeah, yeah. He goes uh, – she had a, quote, respectable Republican cloth coat. It's just ah, made of simple cloth, wool, right? Wool. And he's, he says, he's, you know, he's a patriot. And, she was um, cold a lot. And it's it's remembered as the checker speech because uh, right. Nixon said uh, he had received one gift, which was a little cocker spaniel dog sent all the way from Texas, and our little girl Trisha, the six year old, named it Checkers. It's like this. It's huge public outpouring right. of sympathy the, for Nixon. The dog Perfect. is a master stroke. Yeah. What are you going gonna to get mad about a puppy? Are we going to kill the dog yeah. now? Yeah, do you want me to kill the dog? Does that make you feel There's one better? thing I won't give back, and uh, six good. year old, she loves it. And that's true. I'd strangle it with my bare hands <laughs> if, <I had laughs> if you wanted me to, but. <laughs> It really upset my daughter, and I don't, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think you'd want to do that. So, so that's – they sail to re-election. He's kept on the ticket, no problem. That's brilliant. Political yeah, masterstroke, yeah. you know. Uh, the dog is br- – wow. And um, so, yeah, it's uh, – And they don't talk about the three dogs he killed. But, no, you know, no, They talk no, about no. the one. He uh, – he, he, um, Chess and Othello were murdered. <laughs> Checkers they kept. Othello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a uh, black dog. Nixon has more responsibilities as VP. This is also what makes him the the most uh, modern, uh, the modern vice president. Um, He's he's given specific critical tasks by the president to carry out and also kind of like the cheerleader enthusiasm again, like the football thing of implementing the president's initiatives and going around and and doing stuff on his behalf. And there's like this big collaboration between the two of them that had not existed before. The the VP was very, very nominal. And and this was like, you know... um, now, if Eisenhower isn't there, Nixon chairs the cabinet meetings. Right. Nixon chairs the National Security Council meetings. Wow. Like, this guy is, like, 
deep in it. Proto Cheney, super deep in it. But he's also he's like, and, and he says this later in his life. He's like, you know, he's like, I came from this thing. You know, Eisenhower was a general, and I was, you know, his, uh, you know, subservient, and I, I carried it out that way. I never, you know, and and he did. He would never try to throw Eisenhower under the bus, even when later on during re-election. People around Eisenhower were like, maybe maybe during re-election we'll do somebody else on the ticket, you know, and stuff like that. But when when Eisenhower had a heart attack and stuff like that, it was totally just Nixon just filled in right away. And he would come out and he would reassure the public that everything was fine and everything was going to be okay. And he still didn't do any, like, ambitious kind of Game of thrones power, power grabby moves. And he made sure other people didn't. That was, like, the right. real loyalty thing right. that he exhibited he was just like, I know my role, and this is what I do, and I can't fuck right. with Eisenhower. He'd probably strangle me to death like I'd strangle that dog. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he's like, he wasn't doing yeah. it. It was, it was very, very dutiful. In fact, he calls me checkers. You know? like, <laughs> um, But it, it's perfect time and place where the general, not a politician right. in charge, a general is who doesn't want to deal with the generic politician stuff. Right. So here's the guy a who's perfect a perfect politician. politician. But, yeah. you know, this post And also a perfect, um, like you said, almost a perfect soldier. Yeah. Yeah. It, he understood his role. Like, I'm your subordinate. I follow your order, sir. Yes. Completely. And I'll make sure nobody else steps out of line and I'm not going to step I mean, out of my like, role. And... He's not going to upstage Eisenhower. This right. The guy who won the war. Yeah. Right. But also, like, keep in mind, like, this guy's Eisenhower's out of commission for six weeks. Yikes. He had a heart attack. Yeah. You know, Nixon is the president. Yeah. Like, and, you know, at this time, there was also none of that. He's the hand of the king. Vice president <laughs> takes over rule type shit. Like, there was, was no rules of succession at that point? Like, uh. Well, it, it wasn't like immediately, like, the VP fills in when the uh, president is indisposed. Incapacitated, et cetera. Yeah. Names in a hat. You All know. that stuff. Ah, yeah. Um, draw straws, play checkers, yeah, strangle. Checkers. But, I mean, ma mainly making sure that the cabinet officers didn't do their own power grab is, right. is one of the most impressive things about him. Because there could have been a coup. Right, and he's just like, it's going to be fucking chaos, you know? Um, he, and his biographer, Stephen Ambrose, said he earned the high praise he received for his conduct during the crisis. He made absolutely no attempt to seize power. Um, so Nixon wants to be in on the ticket for a second time. Eisenhower's aides are like, nah, this fucking guy, you know? Like, Nixon has always had a little bit of inherent dislikability, you know? Yeah. He's... There's been always something that rubs people the wrong way about him. Yeah. In one way or another, you know, right. he kind of gets things done, but he's a little bit of a chip on his shoulder kind of guy. And yeah. uh, I mean, the guy who purposely cucks himself. But he's also, yeah. he, you know, he's not really, you know, likable or <laughs> even maybe as like he's not going to go along with something he doesn't believe in either. Like he's kind of going to be a little bit of a pain in the ass, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I bet if he was better looking. Sure. That's you think no, so? No, no, but that's definitely. Or is that your solution like... to everything? Just be hot. Works for me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand why more people don't try it. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's why, uh, you know, that that debate that he had with Kennedy. Right, right. If the audio, the people that listen on the radio said that Nixon won. The right. people that watch on TV said that JFK won. Right. And the, I mean, I think we're, we're, this is actually not a nice thing. I mean, we are hardwired to like people who are better looking. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I bet if he was better looking, people would have probably liked him more. But he looks kind of squirrely. Yeah. He's tricky dick. He yeah, looks he already, like a tricky dick. He already dick. had the nickname by then, yeah. too. So, so Eisenhower's kind of getting looked at to be like, hey, who are you going to run with again for 56 and stuff like that? And and um, he's like, well, I'm not going to say anything until I'm renominated or whatever. It's like, you're the president. You know you're running again. You know? 
And then in the New Hampshire primary, Dick Nixon gets a ton of write-in votes. And immediately he's back on the ticket. Right. Right. So why still, New Hampshire? Because New Hampshire's first? Uh, second? It's, it's, it's the first primary, right? right? You know, uh, the, the first one is Iowa caucus, whatever. Well, it, so. Is that even back then Iowa was first? I don't know if uh, it was. I mean, but, New Hampshire is the first primary. Same thing. New yeah. Hampshire is the first primary, and it's full of a lot of dog killers. So and, they sympathize yeah, with they, him, they, they, and they hate checkers. Come at right. me, New Hampshire. So he he goes comfortably into re-election, 1956, and um, he goes on a major foreign policy trip to Africa, right in 1957. I remember this in high school. And he comes back, and he immediately <laughs> helps shepherd the Civil Rights Act of 1957, right? And keep in mind, he's already been voting for civil rights legislation before then, which right. is something you don't really think about when you think about Nixon, you know? But he definitely understood how important this was. Well, it's something that we don't think about in our generation, <laughs> yes. period, at all. Right, right. But we take also- it for granted... Across the board. But, you, you, you also but in how, our parents' lifetime, it was a real fucking thing. Yeah, and you also forget how many fucking Democrats were against it back then. Yeah. You know, the Democrats w- were filled with racists, you know, yeah. all the old Dixiecrats and stuff yeah. like that. So it was centrist guys in the Republican Party that helped get a lot of that legislation passed mm-hmm. under, you know, LBJ, Kennedy, et cetera, yeah. like everything. LBJ, too. Weird. Weird? Yeah, he's a maniac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so well, that's that's maniac. Sorry. Yeah, he is a maniac. He, well, no, another time though. Yeah. <laughs> so Nixon was really advising him to sign this civil rights thing. Uh, uh, Eisenhower and Eisenhower did, um, and uh, he, get, he Eisenhower has a mild stroke in '57. Nixon again gives a press conference, reassuring everybody everything's cool, it's all good, right? Um, and uh, then. Richard and Pat Nixon go on a Goodwill tour in 58 of South America, and everything's cool, and then they get to Lima, Peru, and student demonstrations, right? And Nixon just is, like, going to the campus to speak or whatever, and he gets out of his car to confront these students, and they all start pelting him with shit. Produce, of all things. (laughs) (laughs) He's a fine tomato. Uh, Don't throw uh, the tomatoes. uh, He's burned polish. At his hotel, more people spitting on him and shit like that, and in Caracas, Venezuela, Nixon and Pat are, uh, are, you know, uh, attacked again, spat on by anti-American demonstrators, and their limousine was attacked, and everybody was so in awe of how courageous he was at these mobs that wanted to kill him that even, like, his hardest enemies were, like... In the U.S. Yeah, were, like, man, fucking Richard Nixon is, like, really the real deal. Wow. And Nixon was, like, all of those people there were were paid by the Communist Party to demonstrate against us, even when the head of the CIA was, like, no, dude, that's totally not true. We paid them. Yeah, Yeah, we... (laughs) These people genuinely hate us. That's the early Soros money. You know? Um, Totally ridiculous. Um... But yeah, so he, he, he keeps earning all this respect, like, as he goes further and further, despite kind of all these setbacks and right. and his own insecurity, you know? Or perhaps because of the setbacks. Mm. Yeah, I mean, but there's uh, there's all this grudging respect and... and, and He's got a poor kid mentality. So that, can, that can get you far, especially back then. With all of, with all of the height of, of, of the, the Cold War, it's crazy to imagine that there was a, uh, a, a Soviet-American, like, cultural kind of, uh, you know, agreement that the Soviets would, would come over here and they would open up an exhibit about Soviet Russian life and that we would do the same in Moscow with a... What? Yeah. Basically, we, we would go to each other and we would show each other how each other were living in 1959. What agreement was this? This is... I, I know nothing... You've never of, heard about this? No. This is one of Nixon's most it famous moments. It sounds like moments. a lie. No, it's it's, uh, <laughs> it's in, in, entirely, entirely true. It's, uh, it's uh, the... Uh, 
the uh, American National Exhibition, Exhibition is the one that was in Moscow, and um, that was uh, held after they did uh, the Soviet exhibit in New York in June 59, immediately after July 59 in Moscow, the American National Exhibit. Um, it's under the Soviet Cultural Agreement, uh, and it was, uh, I mean, like, I, I never heard much about the Soviet one in New York. Right. But the one in Moscow was, like, loaded with all the newest shit from Sears, right? We right, go over there, yeah, we're, we're, like, right. rubbing their nose in it. There's and, ovens, yeah, there's all these, yeah. Uh, yeah. And Nixon, Nixon's walking around over there in all these, like, cutaway kitchens with Nikita Khrushchev. Mm-hmm. And uh, Eisenhower's little brother, Milton, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We right? were poor. Milton. Yeah, my brother can't make it. It's hot. It's, he had a heart attack yeah. and then a stroke. A couple times. Everything's fine. Yeah, Dick's yeah, yeah, yeah. got it. Anyway, check out this mixer. It's uh, and so yeah, there's, there's all this bullshit, and um, as they're as they're going around it, it's all being filmed, and uh, Nikita Khrushchev is 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 like, well, you're making inventions for the now. We Soviets are making you know advancements for the future generations. You know, like you're making all this shit to make life convenient for yourself now. And it's this very diplomatic debate between Soviet communism and American capitalism that is held by uh, future President Nixon and current premier Nikita Khrushchev. And it was it was called uh, in in one cutaway there was an impromptu you know debate about the the difference of lifestyle, mm-hmm. and it was called the kitchen debate. And this was all filmed. And uh, Khrushchev was like, um, you have to put this this debate on air in America with uh, subtitles in English showing what I'm saying. And Nixon's like, you have to show it in Russia with Russian subtitles of everything I'm saying. And uh, they like, you know, shook our hands. Yeah, we shook our hands and we made a man's bargain, you know, and uh, they were totally down with it. Later on, the Soviets were like, "Uh, we can't let this get out. (laughs) Those microwaves are pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So they were trying to, like, censure it and stuff like that. And uh, but it was a huge, huge moment for Nixon. Fuck, man, I totally blanked on that. Like, I I it's crazy to think about that. There was they even allowed that extremely civilized debate between two people that were pointing guns at each other's heads and just being like big nuclear guns, which which one of us is is actually better for the people or the world this is i mean that is, that is the world at a crossroads at that point yeah right? together or uh or at least on they they both defeated fascism or, or the nazis right and the world was kind of at a crossroads yeah and there was a choice you could make do you want to go for this uh so-called utopia or do you want to go for this kind of like free-range weird wild west capitalist shit right you pick, and then we'll show each other the other people's goods, and then, right. what? Are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah. I cannot believe that happened. Yeah. it's incre- and, and, and the thing that's so crazy about it was they were saying, here is a, a house uh, full of devices that the average American can afford. Might get, or you can <laughs> definitely get a sack of potatoes every month. But you know what I mean? And, and like, there's one of these things where I want to be like, why isn't there a kitchen debate between the former America and the current America. Uh, <laughs> because, like, none of these things are things that the average American can afford. Like, like wait, what, food? Uh, yeah, just like, 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 a, like everybody's... A, ha- a home? Yeah, below the poverty line. Like, everybody could get a fucking house and all this bullshit in it back then. And it's yeah. like, we've fallen so far from this shit we were trying to rub somebody else's nose in back then. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but all, I mean, we don't want to look at the American past through rose-colored glasses because then you've kind of fallen into that MAGA shit. Right. right. How great was it? Right. So, so but what, what Khrushchev was interesting. He was the perfect person for Nixon to deal with. There was Khrushchev guy. was a peasant. It was a peasant. Yeah. 
They were and, they and, were the, they were closer to each other than than Kennedy and, 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 yeah, and Khrushchev came away from this with a lot of respect for Nixon. He was like, this guy really believes his shit. He's 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 a man of strong. They will. were both poor kids that ended up fucking rising to run their con- countries. <laughs> yeah. So Khrushchev is saying all the shit where he's like, he's like, you're doing all this shit from the now. He's like, he's like, you've been around for 150 whatever years. He's like, we've been around for like 40 something. He's like, we're gonna surpass you. By far, and then be like, bye-bye. He said bye-bye, right? Who said bye-bye? Khrushchev. He's like, we're going to be like, bye-bye, we're going to surpass you. He said bye-bye. Bye-bye. Nice. And then he he asked, he asked, do you guys have a machine that chews the food and pushes it down into your stomach? (laughs) That is such a hard cooking. So good. Uh, He's like, oh, it chops the food up. Oh, you know what we do? Chop the food up. (laughs) And you know what? That is, he was right about the future. I mean, yeah. Because now we have smoothies. Yeah, yeah, put the the spinach and the acai into a blender. You mix it into a a sludge. You pay someone to to chew it for you and spit it into your mouth. Put it into my mouth and I don't have to and, chew and it so, and so this was, it. the crazy thing about this debate is that during the whole thing the VP and the premier of the USSR never discuss territory nukes anything on that level just whose society benefits people more that's brilliant. At such a politically hot time, it's completely insane. This is the, this is the beginning of the Cold War though, right? Like, right as what you would call the Cold War begins. Maybe this is why it starts. Sure, sure, yeah, but I mean, like, you know, by the time Kennedy's running for president in 60 against Nixon, he's running on the platform that, oh, the Soviets have bypassed you, uh, like, America is losing now, right. you know, Kennedy wow. Kennedy was running on a very, like, uh, you know, communist fearing platform against uh, huh. Eisenhower and Nixon, right? which That's is crazy to think about. That's interesting, because they had nukes at this point. Sure, yeah. They, they had just got them. Yeah, I think they had, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was uh, it was the first uh, high level meeting between Soviet and U.S. leaders since the Geneva summit in 1955. Um, there was a, uh, you know, th- then uh, Nixon is is, is of course going to be the uh, the nominee for president right. against JFK, and um, we're really out of time here. I just really no, we're wanna, not. keep going. I just want to go into um, I mean there were some of the stuff that uh, that really blew me away. Um, about these these two guys, Kennedy and Nixon, that were these, these centrists that were like completely um, from two different levels. You know, uh, they were both Navy guys, sure, but Nixon was so poor, and then um, and Kennedy so rich. Yeah, and they were going to debate uh, as freshman congressmen after in 1947 uh, the Taft Hartley Act, which was the one about the. Uh, the unions and uh, supervising them and stuff like that. And the the college that had them was asked to to pick the two kind of brightest, most promising uh, new congressmen. Hmm. And they picked the two guys that would later become president. Hmm. And mm-hmm. these guys went to this college and... And uh, this was before any sort of nomination process had happened. This is 1947. What college? And these guys, these guys go... Um, and they they debate this thing and uh, and they didn't shout them down or call trigger warnings <laughs> right right yeah they uh they um wow they they go on this on this debate and uh and they they go back and forth on it and then on the train ride back to DC they have to share a car and they they flip for the for the bottom bunk no fucking way right and uh nixon wins the toss wait what uh kennedy flipped a coin nixon flipped a lettuce or what and then and then it's like they they don't let's just share a bed they don't they, they, <laughs> but be, they don't that's it, what I like see. where who's sleeping where doesn't even matter because they stay up all night talking 
Of course they yeah. would. They stay up all night talking because they both come from the Navy and they're both really alarmed about communism. And and they share this That's this brilliant this crazy uh this crazy experience and, and, and they, they develop this this real friendship uh that that is just uh unbelievable because Nixon recognizes in Kennedy that he's actually a very shy man. Like yeah. later on, and we'll get to this in episode two, you know, Nixon becomes this kind of presidential historian. And uh, armchair historian, and he talks about the Kennedys. He's like, he's like, you know, uh, he's like Teddy was the only real politician of them. He's like, he was gregarious and you know, fun and friendly. He's like, he's like Jack was actually a much more shy man. Yeah. And uh, Nixon said, he's like, I could tell this. He's like, we didn't have this, this want to to act like we were best buddies, this fake camaraderie. He's like, we really just approach each other as two shy men that weren't going to pretend we were best friends in this train car. And we just sat down and we really realized that we actually believed in a lot of the same things. And we were worried about the same things for the country, not even for ourselves. Right. You know? Mm. And um, when when Nixon is going against uh, Helen Douglas, uh, Joe Kennedy also thinks that she's a communist. Jack's dad. Jack's dad. And he gives Jack a check for $1,000 to personally deliver to the campaign of Richard Nixon, which Jack Kennedy does. He walks in. So Joe Kennedy Joe gives Kennedy. JFK a check for $1,000, and he says, hey, give this to Richard. Yes. Republican Richard Nixon is given, and, and, and it's delivered personally by Jack, and he's like, this is to be used for the, the Your election. Your against this commie bitch. Uh, uh, he's like, and it's, used to be, it's to be used on the campaign. It's, it's the highest amount you can give. Don't I'm, you uh, fucking have any dinners or uh, any fucking dogs? Uh, right, no, no checkers, right? And, uh, and so... People like Nixon, like even though he knows their friends, is still startled by it, and, and people around are startled by it. They're like, "Can you believe this? You know, like this is crazy." And uh, huh? And uh, like you know, before Nixon, like it, it, or before JFK is the nominee, he's like, you know, everybody's every, they got the anybody but Kennedy committee, right? LBJ is part of it. Yeah. All these people trying to get Kennedy to not be the nominee. Kennedy is telling people, he's like, if if they push me out like this, I'm voting for Nixon. He's telling a bunch of people he's going to vote for Nixon. Right. Oh, what a great finger on the button move. <laughs> Respects the living shit out of him. When Nixon becomes the VP, Kennedy writes him a note saying, I always knew you'd rise to the top, but I had no idea it would be so fast. Right. And then in 1956, Kennedy's going through all these spinal operations. Right, because he's got more fan syndrome. He's, he's, got, he's got a bunch of like genetic issues. He's not a healthy guy. Yeah, and that was used against him in the campaign by all the people that wanted anybody but right. Kennedy. Very, very Hillary Clinton-like. Right, and it was used she's by LBJ. She's sick. LB she's low energy. It was used by LBJ, which Robert Kennedy never forgave him for. Right. right, right. He was just like le so. leaking my brother's medical shit. But while he's out of commission in uh, the Senate, um, his— JFK's aide was like, Richard Nixon, God bless him, came by all the time to be like, how's Jack? How's Jack? Wow. And people close to Nixon were like, I've never seen a man so emotional huh. about his friend being sick. He's like, they were like, he was on the verge of tears. Wow. Like constantly being like, poor Jack, poor Jack, poor Jack, you know? And it was this genuine thing because, you know, don't forget, like he has an elitist you know, entitled person. But, like, when he talked to him in this train car, he really figured out, like, oh, you figured out shit on your own. Like, you're not just taking your dad's line. You're not Ooh, just a like rich kid. You, you, <laughs> yeah. Like, you've actually been in the world and you've seen things and you have your own opinions. Right. And and uh, and uh, he, he 
they really respected the shit out of each other. After JFK delivers the Ich bin ein Berliner speech, uh, you know, Nixon's on vacation in Rome. And JFK calls him. He's like, I just I heard you were in Europe and I'm in Europe and I just wanted to say hello. You know, they were like really, really kind of close friends wow, in this way that's that totally bizarre for two very shy men. Yeah. I mean, extremely shy. Like JFK wanted to be president. Yeah. And JFK was extremely shy. And, you know, Nixon was so shy and people closest to Nixon were like, they're like, I, I don't really know him. You know, Nixon would say, I don't understand this thing of, uh, you know, people that have to spill their whole guts about every way they feel. They'll be like, man, I got to tell you, I couldn't sleep last night. He's like, I don't do that. You know, and it's like this stiff upper lip thing from like, yeah. you know, the British king part of his family yeah, or whatever. The Richard the Lionheart. <laughs> That's like, you know, it, it, but, but he still is able to like forge this very strong friendship with this guy that he ends up detesting because of losing to him in politics, you know. But even after Kennedy wins, he still extends the hand of friendship to Nixon. And even after Nixon wins and JFK's dead, he still has Jackie and the kids come to the White House to visit. And he writes Jackie this beautiful, heartfelt note wow. um, after the assassination of JFK. And Jackie Kennedy writes him back and is just like, think about you two guys being these, these brand new freshmen congressmen. And, you know... She, she's like, you're probably going to go to the top like you thought, you know? Wow. And he did. Yeah. It's just fucking mind-blowing. It's, I mean, it's it's such a beautiful part of, like, their history that yeah. I had no idea like, existed. Never, I've never yeah, heard I can't that. wait to hear more it about just, it. Yeah, it touched me so much. Like, they were, uh, they were really— best, re- best of enemies, best of friends. <laughs> yeah, but even then, like, I mean, like, Nixon was a little Not bit an enemy startled thing, yeah. by how, you know, once JFK was like, all right, you're the dude, I'm going to take you out, <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? Right. But, it was, but that's the same thing he would have done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and when people would trash Nixon after Kennedy won, he would be like, no, 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 no. Mind your tongue. Like, he would correct them and be like, you're not going to talk about Dick Nixon that way. Wow. After he won. Wow. He would be like, like Jackie Kennedy said, like, he thinks the world of you maybe more than anybody. Isn't that fucking mind-blowing? Yeah. It's a different time. Yeah. It's it it, uh, it it just says so much about like well and also just the caliber of person that that went for the presidency at that time. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Can't wait to hear more about it, John. Yeah. You will in part two. That was great. All right. John. Uh, yeah. That's great, John. We're gonna Excellent. get way more into like the weird shit, the clips, the mania, but I really I really wanted to just kind of shine a light on like the bright part or like the hopeful part <laughs> of Nixon because yes. like like there is so much potential there, you know. Sure. Like it's it's really kind of a beautiful story. Um, but afterward, it just gets weirder and weirder. I, I mean, it's, uh, this is, this was a great New Hope episode. I can't wait for <laughs> the Empire Strikes, yeah, the Empire Strikes yeah. Back. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. I'm going to say goodnight. I love you. I'm John Fahey. I'm Aaron Pita. Episode. Good night, everybody.